So welcome to Horizon Partners Wealth Management No Disclaimers Podcast. I don't know, version two for me. And I, as I said the first time, I wasn't really comfortable interviewing myself or telling stories myself. So this time I dragged Kathy Quinn into the, uh, quote, studio. (laughs) Who can now be uncomfortable being interviewed. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So now Kathy gets to hate this. (laughs) And um, we're we're gonna have fun with this today. I, my goal for there's multiple reasons I wanted to do this. First, um, Kathy was thinking about retirement prior to COVID hitting, and uh, suddenly when offices shut down and nobody could see each other for two years, it made that retirement kind of a lot quicker. Um, and in we didn't really get to have that official kind of slow goodbye, meeting with all the clients and talking through the fact that Kathy has been working in the industry long enough that it's time for her to go enjoy her own things. So um, I wanted to make this podcast a little bit about what Kathy and I do as planners. We both have our CFP and Shay does as well. Um, And it's, it's something that's very important to our team when working with clients, that that planning is is a, an integral part of our conversations with clients. And so, you know, Kathy's been doing this a long time. And coming in to join the team oh, almost 12, 11, 12 years ago, um, it was really fun to actually join a team where somebody had already been doing planning for so long. And there was so much that I could learn or, uh, you know, just, I don't, you know, run things by her and see what she thought. Um, a lot of camaraderie in what we've been doing, how, you know, how we're doing it and how it helps clients. It's just, to me, it's been really fun. And I, and I want to share with you guys as listeners, some of the fun things that Kathy has helped me, um, kind of see from her perspective for, for so many years. And so that's my goal is just to kind of talk about some of the things, that we've seen, best practices, things to avoid, or just stories. So um, that's my goal. We'll see how long this takes. Um, and I kind of, the first question I, when I was thinking about what I was going to ask Kathy, I had practiced with her earlier and it made me laugh because for all these years, her answer made me laugh. All these years, I, you know, I knew that Kathy was t- in my mind legendary like you know she had been doing this planning <laughs> wow since the 80s and and that was kind of unheard of so you know to me she was kind of a pioneer in 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 our industry in getting a CFP and using the CFP so when i'm asking her this question <laughs> um what made you to decide to get your CFP <laughs> i'm going to ask her again see if she answers it differently <laughs> Because it surprised me. Being a little bit more politically correct than the first answer. Yes. um, I had um, moved to Columbus, Ohio with my new husband then, and it took a while to get a job. So I I took the first job that was offered to me, because again, the the early 80s was not a really good time to be hired. And so moving and getting married and trying to find a job at that time was a little stressful. Um, But when... um, when I was working in the direct investment group, um, my manager, well, the firm decided to 
start a financial planning department and have regional offices, which was just really astounding for that time period in, what, 82, 83? Um, and my manager, who was a little behind the eight ball in figuring out who he was going to hire to do this, <laughs> said, wow, I bet Kathy would do it. And so they said, do you want to get your CFP? And I went, sure, why not? Um, and that started my, my two-year, back then it was a two-year process because you could only take the eight one sections, one, one every quarter or something. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was quite a journey. So, so the short was, oh, wait, we need a CFP. <laughs> Kathy will do it. <laughs> it, it was life-changing for uh, many ways, in many ways, yeah. And life-changing in a positive way, do you think? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, and both personally and, and in the work I do, because suddenly it wasn't just about the investments. It was about why are we investing? And and that was going to be my question. So knowing you got it so early, and what, what was the official year you got it? 80? I finished it in 86. Okay. All right. But but once you had your CFP and in, in knowing you know where the industry was then and where where we've come to, um, you know, I guess how do you think planning helped change where we are now? Interestingly, again going back to the firm dipping their toes in this, it it didn't work out well, and they were cutting the regions back because it was so early that nobody really got why would we introduce this it. into the investment world. And so they were contracting and kind of moving away from it a little bit. Um, and it just so happened at that time that uh, George Ruff, who many of our clients know because he's our you know founding partner, uh, was looking for someone to work with him. And so again, <laughs> Kathy will do it. <laughs> so, um, but it was great because we had a, we, I was working with an advisor who was ready for this piece. Um, and so, uh, you know, kind of worked my way into learning how to use it in the investment world on clients who were already long-term clients. We were taking it to the next level, going into managed money, going into the planning process, and it really changed a lot about how we interacted with clients. It was no longer just buy this, sell that. And that's what I was going to say. Like, it was so transactional back then. It was, you know, it was kind of like every single person that came in the door, you've got this tool or you've got this product, sell, sell, sell. Yes. And you started suddenly going, well, wait a minute. What, what do you want? What do you want this money to do why, for you? Why, yeah. What is it for? What is it for? Needs, wants, wishes, which we didn't come up with till later, but so important, like, or, or the live for today, but plan for tomorrow or however we phrase that these days it's like yeah we've got this whole pile of money but what do we have this pile of money for so we earn x percent what difference does it make what's it for and then all of a sudden you you can figure out do we want to enjoy something today or are we saving for later or or what it really are we doing this for and that was the piece where i i'm i kind of go back to um when you start asking what's it for, you had, did you see a difference in how people reacted after those meetings? Yes. Um, and, and I think in some respects it, because it, frankly, we were dealing mostly with the men in yep. relationships back yep. then. 
Um, that was statistically probably 90% yep. of the people who yes. worked with, okay. And so I saw a difference in that this often drew the spouse in. So, so the spouse would actually come to the meetings? Come to some of the meetings, okay. uh, which was good. Um, and I think over time, because again, statistically, the men die first, we ended up working with a lot of widows. And that was personally really gratifying to me because many of them had not been involved as much. Um, that generation, men handled the finances and women did other things. There was a division of labor, which I think in some respects there still is. But um, it, it was gratifying to sit down with them and be able to say, you're okay, and here's why. Here's what you've got. Now, what do you want to do? And I think that, um, was that also where you were learning? I, I always look at, when, when we're meeting with clients, how there's usually a two totally different personalities sitting at the table. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And that's where the psychology background came uh, in. Oh, I forgot to mention that. Oh, let's go back to what you went to college for, Kathy. <laughs> I went to school for counseling psychology and started my master's and decided to go to a different school. But a friend asked if I wanted to move to Chicago. And sure, why not? <laughs> why not? Um, and I took a job because you need a job if you're going to live <laughs> Chicago. Yes. And it happened to be at a, a municipal bond firm. And that's kind of how I got started oh, I with in the investment arena. But, um, but that psychology background, uh, and, and some, in some respects, it's my personality too, helped when you're dealing with um, couples who don't look at things the same way. Exactly. Um, like or and I would say transition. A lot of good marriages have couples who absolutely have opposite views or opposite habits. Or and the psychology of how you can have a conversation and come to a, a decision financially with a couple who have to figure out how to make it work for both of them. Yes, absolutely. And oftentimes, George and I would be in the same meeting, and so you had the male perspective, which was connecting with the male perspective. And then you had the female perspective kind of connecting with the female perspective. And, um, and, and somewhere you found balance and looking for what we're trying to accomplish. In that big picture thinking, mm -hmm. which, yep. I mean, that's what's so fun about planning is, and, and I guess that takes me to that next step, the, how many years has it been now that you've been in in the industry? Um, since eighty, since eighty. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. We don't need to count. I'm <laughs> gonna do the math for everyone. I was gonna say I've got to you, so it's been forty-two years. <laughs> Thanks, Kim. I I know Kathy doesn't like to use that number out loud, but forty-two years. Your perspective in seeing how planning has worked for clients, you've been able to see, and, and I think I'd love for you to share a story of just kind of seeing a client early on, like if you have a memory of somebody you worked with many, many years ago and where they are now, and just how that planning has helped them through the years. I think it's interesting because by now we've gone through 
um, several generations. So the initial people that we had been working with um, obviously accumulated quite a bit. We're, we're in, the people that we work with are not going to be destitute. They usually have quite a bit left at the end of their lives, and it's going to go to somebody. So um, we have found ways to start working with the next generation. That is correct. We have third and fourth generation we have third clients. And some education funds for fourth. Yeah, it's it's just so amazing to see kids grow up and and they're having kids and we're still working with them. It's uh, it's quite amazing. Um, and and it's nice to be appreciated. They know we've worked with the family forever. We're we're a trusted member of their team uh, often. I mean I one of the great stories that George always tells and, and I recall was we did a financial plan for a widow and this was way early on. So and I was pretty young. I mean <laughs> was broke when we talk about <laughs> the early eighties and he goes, Oh, the rates are so bad right now and I go, Well, you know, not really because when we bought a house we were double digit rates. Oh yeah, but money market was paying 14%. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't have any money. I was borrowing <laughs> at that rate, not I investing should. at that rate. So um, <laughs> so going back way back, uh, it, it was a learning experience for me to see how people handle larger amounts of money. And so when this widow came in and, and she's worried about not being able to do what she needs to do and live the way she's been living, we, we were, I was astounded that she even had a concern about that. I'm, I'm looking at the plan going, I don't know how this would go wrong. <laughs> so she had a, a, yeah, everything's relative, but a substantial amount of money. And over time you talk about, you know, first you've got to get them comfortable that yes, they are okay. And yes, you should spend some money. That's what you worked so hard together to do is build a safety net for yourself. So you've got that, and then you move into what's important to you. And just shut up. Because how many people ask you what's important to you? And eventually she came to, I want to spend time with my family, my kids, my grandkids. And eventually that went into, hey, how about a trip? I would love to take them to Disney or a cruise or whatever. And she started doing that. And um, when she passed away many, many years later, it brought tears to my eyes when we went to the funeral because there were pictures everywhere of all the trips that three generations had taken together. Which, uh, I, that's the best part of our job. The seeing what money is a tool. And if used appropriately, or, you know, it, it's David likes to tell the story of having a knife in the kitchen. If you you know, use it appropriately, um, you can do great things. And if you use it wrong, you can cut yourself pretty bad. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> and I think that's the way we look at money. It, it's a tool. It's just a tool. And, um, you know, for her, it was, there was a, there was a lot of fear um, in, in, in having this money and feeling like she was going to run out. And yet... And being a good steward of the money. She didn't want to yeah, like blow it using it appropriately. Yeah, using it appropriately. <clears throat> but also what she was able to uh enjoy out of that and I yeah, I I love that story. The memories are amazing. And her son continued the tradition. So when he passed away, again, at the funeral there's all these pictures of grandma, son, kids, grandkids. It's just it's heartwarming. 
to see what it can generations do. To, yeah. and to yeah and yep. and the joy that that they all had out of doing that. That's or the time one family sent me a picture from Disney World <laughs> of them all with Mickey Mouse because you suggested we come here and we're having such a great time. <laughs> How many people were in that picture? Because there were oh, gosh. three generations, right? There were. Uh, I, I don't even know. It was probably eight, uh, at least. Eight different. Eight different people. Okay. That's, you know, parents, kids, and grandkids. Okay. Siblings, yeah. But multiple generations. <laughs> but multiple generations, absolutely, yeah. Um, when we, when uh, we talked about families and, and the multiple generations, um, I, I want to kind of have you talk about, you mentioned it just a little bit, some of the things you've seen over the years that, that clients have been able to do for their children or their children's children um, that makes them good stewards of money. Like, do you see anything that you would say these are good examples or these are good things to think about, especially for pa- people who are raising their kids now and looking at how do I make them responsible? Yeah. And that's a tough call because we all want to give to the kids and sometimes um, the way you give can make them either more responsible or less responsible. So it's it's a fine line between helping and uh, abetting <laughs> so, <laughs> or aiding and abetting. So um, I guess I think helping families create that legacy of memories sometimes is more important than just straight financial help in some respects. But it's also been very helpful for um, a couple who needs a down payment and the parents can help with that or help with financing in some of the different ways that we do mortgages now. Right, like parent pledging where they're not really giving them assets, but they're giving them the opportunity to borrow the whole amount and show the responsibility of paying it off. Or, Or helping with education expenses, um, and again, sometimes uh, you got to kind of look at the whole family situation and make sure you're not um, eliminating possibilities for financial aid down the road. Uh, but it's, it's a multi-generational analysis of the family assets to see which is the best way to help with that. And you kind of another important part about that education, um, you know, that we've seen, both you and I have seen um, – uh, couples that it's so important to give everything to their child and make sure that their child is never in need and they want to, you know, save enough so that the child doesn't have to pay a dime towards college and they're, re- you know, their education rich, but retirement poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, um, it, that's where we kind of look at each individual situation and, and have those important conversations of, you know, sometimes, making sure your child does not suffer <laughs> um, can be detrimental not only to the child, but to you. Yeah, and, and again, some people can be asset rich and not have much income to enjoy retirement. So again, it's that multi-generational analysis. Um, so one generation is not subjugating to the next and giving up a reasonable lifestyle for retirement. And that's where the and I've got so many things. So that's the uh, live for today, but plan for tomorrow. But yes. wait, before I go into that, I did like the one example. Um, I think, and you, 
you'll know who I'm talking about. David uses the example. One of our clients, one of our largest clients that's um, had multi-generational, just multi-generational wealth passed down, has two quotes that, that I love. And one is, don't deny your kids the struggle and don't bail them out in their 20s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is easier said than done. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great concept. And I think that's when, you know, when I look at uh, our wealthy families and, and the the kids who seem to do well, there's, there is a balance. It's, and, and my father's favorite saying, which I love is everything in moderation. And I've seen communication is one of the, the biggest forms or ways that parents can pass down their values and help children understand, like, don't be afraid to talk about money when they're young. Um, it can't be this big secret because then, you know, a lot of times the kids are like, well, it just must grow on cheese, trees because it just keeps coming. Exactly. <laughs> um, You're not in your head. I don't know if there was something else. It, the the bailing them out in their 20s, the, like you said, that's, I think that's where you and I have both agreed in the past. Start early. Start early with the conversations with the kids. Start early with giving them lessons. I, I know for my daughter, you know, even when she was I don't know, three or four and in the store with me and wanting to have something. It was giving her choices and, and helping her understand needs, wants, and wishes. Do you need this? You want this or do you need this? Right. And I'll never forget, you know, she was probably, she was probably five and I was at the store and she said, now, mom, do you want that or do you need that? <laughs> Back in my face. Um, so clearly that one did work. <laughs> Sometimes I have to play that game with myself these days. Yeah. Do you really need that? <laughs> and I think so, so, so yeah, I was going to go um kind of talk about the um live live or live for today but plan for tomorrow but also like needs wants and wishes. So can you kind of help our listeners with what we those two things that we kind of talk about with our clients? Um I think it's all conversations to begin with, but we also have you know me, I have worksheets all over the place. <laughs> Um, some are very detailed for those Excel spreadsheet people, <laughs> and some are, you know, four or five lines to get somebody to start talking because uh, it, it's it's a hard thing to, if you've never heard that before, it's hard to just sit at a table with someone and all of a sudden spew out all that needs, wants, and wishes stuff. But I think I had a, <laughs> one of my longer-term clients once found a little notepad, and it said, I can't remember. I think it was it needs wants or it was wants and wishes. And I'm a, I must have made a point because they saw this at some little gift store and, and bought me this little pad that's for needs and wishes or wants and wishes. I just thought, wow, I'm it's it's getting they, through. They think of me. They're thinking of me. Do I need this? And I think um, yeah. So um, or when some people would be making some major transition or or big purchase, they would call and go, you know, we're thinking about X, Y, Z. Does that make sense with what we've got? Um, and then we would run scenarios and see how it looked. So. And I, and I think that's where we like, you, we kind of break down the needs as your basic, you know, food, shelter, clothing in, in your wants. Most of the the additional things you want. Wishes are really kind of when we know we've got your basic needs covered and all the things that you want and will want through through 
you know, your life expectancy wishes we kind of define as, okay, now that we've got all these basics covered and, and things that you want covered, what would you like to do? What's the legacy uh, whether it's legacy or, you know, or just, a you know, this would be a great wish, but I, I don't want to jeopardize my retirement plans because I'm going out and buying my Ferrari or, you know, whatever, whatever that is. But, but legacy also in that wishes category, especially when you've done a good job and accumulated money, you know, do you want to give your money away while you're living to your, is it to your kids? Is it to um, charities charities yeah What's do you want to see it being enjoyed or do you want to just have this cash transferred i mean that's it's a personal choice but i've seen an awful lot of people find joy in transferring some assets during their lifetime where they can see what joy it brings either family friends loved ones benef- benefits um charity charities right all I, that sort of stuff you know it's kind of funny just got a just had a client meeting today and um uh, she's very happy with how much wealth she's accumulated over her lifetime and wanted to share it with no kids so um nieces nephews great great nieces grand nephews but but really didn't know the best way to do it and so just used the gifting you know what she could gift and um on an annual basis and and gave them all a gift this year with a note and the one of the I think grand nephews that she didn't have a lot of conversations with said called and said this is so amazing my wife was talking about wanting to she's in social work and really wanting to set up something a program for the community and what she did and then this gift came in and 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 she's then this client said she cried because you know she didn't know how to to you know I guess in her mind, like she didn't know how this would help. And to find out that she didn't know their needs. She didn't know their needs. Yeah, exactly. Um, Very fun. Um, And we talk a little bit about, um, you know, with, with the clients we work with, we're lucky because they're, we've got a lot of first world problems. Um, And I think um, I do talking about, Maybe first world problems. I still think that even with people with wealth, um, we have seen how they can make decisions that aren't the best. Um, can you think of examples? There's only a couple of people that I think like we're getting close to <laughs> not having enough. Um, and honestly, if I if I think about who that was, I, I there was a lot of giving that maybe shouldn't have been given? Um, I think that, if I know the situation you're talking about, it was um, that uh, wanting so badly to take care of the child or bail the child out of any bad situation that they were willing to sacrifice their own um, security. And that is, um, I think, something that Kathy and I both agree a lot of times, um, especially when... um, you have a life-changing situation, widow, widower, um, making sure you've got the right resources set up for um, if you're starting to get to an age where you're not remembering things, um, that you have trusted people, uh, kind of setting that stuff up before 
<laughs> it's before those things happen, before dementia sets in or the Alzheimer's. Um, <clears throat> I think I, I'm jumping around a little bit, but on that, oh, go that ahead. That brings us to um, estate planning, yes. so to speak. And that's that's hard, and especially for maybe the generation before us, you didn't share money information. So often the next generation didn't even know what the parents had, um, which can be good or bad, right? <laughs> depending oh. on that next generation. But uh, like I, I tell my son all the time, you're lucky it's only you, so there will be no battles. But I have often seen siblings not really agreeing on how things should be handled for mom and dad or mom if dad dies or I don't know. It, it, and ha being able to have conversations before a crisis strikes is so important but so difficult. So important. I agree. It's a lot. That's all things that people really don't want to talk about. Um, you know, some people fear that if they start talking about it, it's accepting um, but I mean, if one thing's for sure, we are all going to die. <laughs> That's a given. Um, and I think you and I have seen stories that are too late. Now I have seen when I, when I share stories where it's too late, it does it for the people who don't want to talk about it, I, I, I see them kind of go, Oh wait, I don't think I want that to happen. And so, um, I don't know if you can think of a, a good too late story right at the moment. Um, well, but in some respects, we we often walk a fine line with disclosures, too, because if we're working with multi-generational, we kind of see how the dots could fit, but you can't share information, information back and forth, even, you know, the kids with mom or the mom with kids, because until we talk to them... Um, it's confidential information. So again, we're walking a fine line, but we can also connect the dots sometimes and know what is safe to give. Do they really need it? Or is this a want to wish? Yes. <laughs> so um, if you have permission yep. to, uh, to talk to each one and come up with different strategies for how to best use and transfer wealth, if there's um, sufficient wealth, or to suggest that no, that's not the best thing to do right now. You need to maintain yours. Make sure you're um, taken care of yeah. first. Yep. And I will go back to the, for the people that have trouble um, wanting to, especially when they have multiple children and they're, they're trying to, there, there are, you know, some sort of dynamic or, or they don't want to create the drama now. I will, Kathy and I will both say, you know, if you're unwilling to, to worry, worry about what the drama is while you're living, imagine what it's <laughs> going to be like when you're, when you're gone, right. because right. it, it usually, it just gets worse. And, and I don't know if this is a David quote or where this came from, but clarity is the greatest gift you can give your kids. Mm -hmm. And clarity comes from having those conversations, um, or, or telling them what you want to happen. Um, because a lot of times what Kathy and I both have seen is conflict comes from one child having a perception of what the parent would want and another child having a different perception of what that parent wanted. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, just having that, giving them that clarity, whether it's through, I mean, 
estate planning is not just uh, setting up a trust, but um, power of attorney, a living will, a medical directive. And I will, medical directives are important, but the most important thing is to have the conversation with the person who has the medical directive. Because this is from personal experience, when you're sitting in the emergency room and they want to do something, um, yeah, you, you can, can't go, you can look go to at the medical files. directive, yeah. but it's so important in that split moment that you don't make a decision that that person would not have want made. So, and it's not just like a spouse, it's the kids. So you want a kid arguing with the mom about whether you're going to put somebody on life support or all, all that kind of stuff. I mean, the whole family has to be on board with what you want to happen. Otherwise, you're going to create a nightmare for the people who are sitting there trying to make the decision and the fallout afterwards. Right. Especially, Especially. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when you don't have that directive sitting right there and it gets questioned and then you question yourself. If yep. Absolutely. I, yep. No, that's a really good point. And actually, I was going to ask you, and this is just, um, you've had so many years working with... We have to keep saying so many years. I know. <laughs> You've had 42 years. <laughs> 42. Thank you, Kim. You've had. I keep saying I've grown up and I've grown gray with these clients. <laughs> I'm not that far behind, but I do like to rub in the 42 years. Okay, so. You and David. <laughs> so you've had, uh, you've had some experience with many of our clients aging and seeing that aging and seeing actually not just just aging but healthcare issues so the cancers that come about or the multiple issues that they have and trying to coordinate with doctors and I think one of the things I thought was really good that I got from you was just finding resources that could help in in our first world problems when you have wealth there are some things to think about that could help Care coordination? I don't know. So talk a little bit. Well, I think first there's long-term care in case there's a real long-term care need, and some of those have care coordination Benefits. within them. But I ran across, I don't know where I was. I was at a seminar, and I met this woman who was a doctor, didn't like being in the doctor world these days, but she liked helping people. And she is a care coordinator. I mean, when, when something hits the fan, you can call her. She kind of looks at everything that's going on and helps you navigate what do these reports mean? What does this mean? What does that mean? Who should I go see next? Do I need to get a second opinion? All that sort of thing. And again, you're right. It is first world because we're paying to have someone else help us navigate the crazy world that becomes your life when someone's diagnosed with something really serious. Right. And I think that comes back to that whole, you know, a gift you can give, you know, to to the next generation if you have wealth that you're trying to figure out what to do in in that you have a resource for them especially when there's multiple children because that once again gets very stressful when when you're when you're trying to make help with the healthcare decisions or coordinate multiple doctors you've got children that are in different states <laughs> maybe one that's there caring and the others away and and it, it adds stress it, it there's an unevenness with how much work one is doing versus the other and 
this is something I think it's a great resource for clients to help lessen the burden. And I know a lot of our clients, that's one of the things on their mind is I don't want to be a burden. Okay. Um, what else did I want to talk about? Oh, um, I think best practices on some of the things that we've looked at. One of my favorite things was when you were talking to clients and they had ch children going to college <laughs> and things you would recommend. Oh, <laughs> I do recall. <laughs> this is from personal experiences to get them to sign the thing that says that you can look at all of their information. <laughs> I'm writing the checks. <laughs> And yet I can't see what's happening. <laughs> All the emails that the child is failing are not coming to the parent. <laughs> right? I, I'm not yes. saying that was personal experience, but we've seen some situations where. Yes. So there, there is, yeah, there is a way to have your child sign before they go and before they realize they don't want you to know what's going on. Um, uh, sign a form so that you have access to their records, kind of like a medical disclosures. Um, it's the same thing at school. And, and I know colleges are getting better about that, but it not all of them do it. So it's just one more thing to think about as a parent and, and knowing you're getting your child out there on their own, yet um, you're still financially <laughs> responsible. I'm paying for it. I need to see what I'm buying. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I, that brings up another story, and that's just the um, UTMAs or UGMAs, which the uniform trust minors yeah. versus five two nines, and I know you know there's there are so many things that are changing and shifting. But um, I do remember when I first got in the industry, um, uniform trust to minors act UTMA accounts where you were allowed to open them as a parent, and put money in for your child. However, your child <laughs> had control at eighteen. Yep, trust me. When he was approaching eighteen, <laughs> we found a way to spend that money. <laughs> we can do. We can use this for high school. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and for parents who have the, you know, the two-year-old and you're like, oh, my child's awesome. Like that, yeah. that you know, when they get to those yeah. teens, you do you do start to question judgment. Um, the, judgment yeah, the brain yeah. development. The brain's not quite done. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, do you really want them, if you're a good saver, um, do you really want them to have access to all that money at 18 or 21, depending on the state? And yeah, so like, I want the Mustang. I don't want them to have the Mustang <laughs> or the Ferrari or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. And I had seen, uh, I got into the business in 1999. I had, I had seen, um, a, a, a relative that had, um, saved money for their child who literally emptied it day after age 18 and went to Vegas and got married. Um, and it was supposed to be for college. So I have to say, I have my therapy dog over here. <laughs> she does come. I'm at, I'm at Kim's and I've got Athena who just loves me. She's my therapy dog for this talking session. We have our two Weimariners and yeah, she's, she's definitely trying to be part of the conversation. <laughs> Would you like to talk, Athena? <laughs> no, she just wants me to Hopefully pet. Probably not because it will be obnoxious barking. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Yes, it is, it is a little bit scary when things suddenly are not in your control anymore and they were intended for one thing and they are now for whatever that person feels like they want to do. And I think that brings up kind of the conversation of trusts and some of the things that we've told our clients about setting up trusts. Yeah. What was David Mietti saying? In-laws. Oh, yeah. Be careful. In-laws, outlaws. Predators and predators. Predators and predators to protect the, protect the beneficiary from. Yes. So, yes. So, if, our, if clients have done a good job saving and um, 
and they want to make sure that money gets passed on to their kids, but they want to make sure it goes to their kids and not the in-laws, outlaws, predators, and creditors. Um, making sure you're um, getting trust documents set up and funding the trust. And funding, oh my gosh. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Go ahead. We would have meeting after meeting and we go, have you thought about maybe setting up a trust because they want to control something or they whatever. Oh, we have one. Like, <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> so we're like, well, could we see it? <laughs> Maybe all these assets should actually be titled in trust. Otherwise, it doesn't matter that you have the trust. So, so yes, this is a huge example of best practices and, and something Kathy has seen and I have seen over the years. It is amazing. Clients will pay the money to go to an attorney and get the trust documents written up and signed. And then they don't do anything after they, they forget to read the letter from the attorney that says, make sure you retitle everything, contact your banks and your brokers and your IRAs and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, got to take the next step. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but that is not, that's an, that became a very important agenda item after a couple of times realizing what <laughs> there are trusts. So, yeah. Yeah. And how many years have you had these trusts yeah. written up? It actually should oh. be reviewed. <laughs> it's old. Um, and reviewing them. I mean, I, I, a lot of the old trusts were written to protect from in-laws. So that, but that intention may change over time. Um, I mean, if you've got kids that have been, people are living a lot longer for one thing. So you might have kids that, die before parents or parents who don't really want to exclude the the son-in-law because he's been part of the family for 40 years. Yeah. Um, and and yet, for instance, if, if the daughter dies and the, the son doesn't inherit, it goes to the kids or the son-in-law doesn't inherit, it goes to the kids, which may still be your intention and that's fine. But um, if it, 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 that sort of thing can cause some family issues also. Uh, depending on how that goes. So it's just really doing yourself a little diagram and realizing what's going to happen to this money if I should pass at a certain time. And is that really what I intend for it to do? And that's that. what Kathy said is key, like reviewing it. You can, it's great when you live as long as you expect to live. Um, but it's also funny how dusty things get that yes. maybe you had done 15 years ago and or 30 years or ago <laughs> <laughs> or yeah or you had your will written when your child was six months old and they're now 40 <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's you know more children um, those are important things I think and know. to review beneficiaries when transitions happen I mean it's life changes and it, your pension at work your life insurance at work all that stuff that's just kind of on autopilot and then something major happens, it really all should be looked at and go, is this still how I want it to happen? What do we recommend? Once a year? I think um, it's it can be a quick review once a year, and then anytime anything changes, you need to go a little deeper and, and re-talk through a lot of the issues and planning items. And speaking about changes, um, widows and widowers. So after all these years, some of the best practices that, that we tend to share with somebody who's gone through a major life change like that. Talk about that. Um, 
I think it's it's helpful when we've been working with them because we have already gotten a net worth statement and we have an income and expense statement. So we kind of know what the starting point is. But that's really it. I mean, coming up with a good assets and liabilities and income and expenses. And not making... And titles. Uh, Houses, cars. Yes. Whatever else you own. But not trying to make a giant financial decision Absolutely in not. the first 12 months. It, correct. Um, but, but all that paperwork and stuff can be so overwhelming. And I think we've done it so often that we can be, we can make the transition easier in that we just have a list of things that need to be do, done and we just take the next best step. What's the next one thing that has to be done? Don't. Get overwhelmed by the whole thing. All at once. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) One bite at a time. And believe me, we've worked with some big elephants. Like, I mean, sometimes those, especially when somebody's not expecting, you know, they haven't done the planning and they think they're going to live forever and suddenly they don't and things are everywhere and it's chaos. Yes. and that's some of the things we talked about, too, over time is, do you need six IRAs all over the place? Maybe you want it that way, but maybe if if you're worried about how the survivor is going to handle all this, having most everything in one place is going to make life a lot easier on the survivors. Yes, and um, this is just a little thing, but one of the things... You, you, uh, both of us seeing, and most of the time it was the widow. So we talk about, you know, for for many generations, the, the male was the one who handled all the the finances and assets, um, you know. And then you have a sudden life change, and the the widow is left trying, first of all, to even figure out how to get into the bank accounts. Um, it's horrifying. Uh, especially when they don't have passwords or don't it. And and so that, you know, these are simple little things, but making sure that people know where the documents are or how to get into the documents. Um, And for a while we were doing those notebooks, like let's. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For a while we make a notebook. Here's what you need to know if I'm not here tomorrow. Here's the important book to go to if something happens to me. And I know, you know, everything's gone digital and there are, apps where you can now do that. Um, I, and and there's lots of options. So I think we both agree best, best practices is to do something. To do something. At least they know where to start. So they may not need to know the 16 accounts we have, but they need to know to call Kim or yes. David. And that will get the ball rolling. And then we will branch out to all the other things that need to be done because we've been talking to you for 30 years and we kind of have an idea of of your financial situation and where things are. That was a learning experience for me, even um, with my father passing away. So my mom had already passed away and and he was very organized, did an absolutely awesome job telling me exactly where everything was. Um, The random weird part uh, was that his will, so so they had lived in New York for 35 years, um, but moved to Ohio kind of... Uh, whatever, 10 years before passing. But the the will was with the attorney who lived in the state of New York, and he died in Ohio, which, you know, not, you know, we never thought about it, but the fact that um, where the the county he passed away, they needed the original will. And it took two months 
because you couldn't just go pick up the will <laughs> and take it there because I would have. <laughs> you had to have the state of Ohio um, back office talk to the state of New York, uh, you know, as far as the estate processing. And it was a nightmare. And so everything was frozen because we didn't have, even though he had all his documents in order that showed who the executor was and where everything should go, no, because we didn't have an original will to present to the county that was processing this, nothing could be done. And I just, you know, there's just um, little things to think about. And so, you know, I think it would have been 20 times worse if he had not been organized and things were everywhere because there would have been no information. Like the executor would never have been able to figure anything out um, until they had been given the permissions to, to do that. And so because he was so organized with everything else, it was just a waiting game rather than a, you know, I, we can't even pay the funeral bill. So, um, I think it is really, really important for the organization. So, so what else we, um, so yeah, but titling and stuff, you can do transfer on death instead of trust. You can do things that will help make transfer of things, stay out of probate and be a lot easier. I'm going to give two more examples real quick on the transfer on death. We had um, two clients in the last year who just couldn't make up their mind about where they wanted the transfer or who they wanted the transfer on death to go to and multiple conversations. And they just said, let me think about it. You know, in their mind, you know, I got plenty of time to um, – where, you know, the plenty of time suddenly wasn't plenty of time. And because they were not sure who they wanted it to go, that doesn't, you know, once again, back to the communication and making it clear, you know, clarity being the greatest gift you can give someone. If they weren't clear about where it wanted to go, you, you've you got now you've got the family going, well, I wonder well, if that's what they were intending. The estate says where it goes. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, the, and they the left will. it to the estate. Yeah. They did. They left it to the, the, the estate will, will determine where it goes because they could not. So... You know, who knows? They're not living, so we don't know what what they were. But but just yeah, simple. I mean, thing. and there and is some cautious point about putting everything in TOD. I mean, if you have, let's say, you have multiple children, and everything's going a third, a third, a third to three kids, and you die, and there's no money to pay the estate expenses because it is getting distributed directly to the beneficiaries. Are they all going to go? Oh, sure, we're going to throw in our third to pay for everything, or is one of your kids? The responsible one going <laughs> to get stuck paying everything, and the other two are going to go on. Um, it's and, mine, and that yes, yeah. that so very good some point cautious. can create more family dynamics. And that funeral bill um, is not is the first thing that they don't wait very long after the funeral, and they want to be paid. That's a really good point. <sighs> Let's see. I feel like we're we're doing good. Yeah. Um, Oh, I did want to talk about just a little bit, and this is just for newer couples. So I think this is really helpful since we've seen what works over the years in, you know, especially Kathy's scene working with, with <laughs> couples and seeing over the years. decades of <laughs> how that works I'm going to get back at you somehow. <laughs> so, um, I know I've had some fun with young couples that come in, but I, and I think you and I agree on a lot of it. So um, anything that you would recommend for a young couple getting established and, and what you would suggest is, is best practices for division of labor or the financial. Boy, and, and after we talked about this, I'm like, I don't, there is no right answer. So I think the answer is have a lot of conversations about it. Um, yeah. If, and it was easy for 
Mike and I, when we got married, we didn't have any money. So you open a joint account and you hope you can pay the bills next month. And then you start putting away money so you can buy a house. Um, so it wasn't, there wasn't anything to worry about really. But in today's world, when kids are getting married later, they've been living on their own for quite a while. They've got their own plans, 401ks, IRAs, Roths. Um, maybe they've inherited some money already. Um, I think that at some point you need a planner to talk about why it's important to keep some assets separate. Not that we anticipate a divorce or whatever, but, but there are reasons to keep some assets by itself. Yep. Um, and then, and then maybe a joint account that most of the money goes into to pay for your, your joint living. Um, and then you just have to have conversations about, do we want a separate play fund for each of us? You know, you don't get to ask me about that and I don't get to ask you about yours. Right. Um, it's my money that I can do whatever I want with. Um, and, but somehow making the plan for the future while also enjoying your own autonomy with some of the money. <laughs> and I think that's been, um, it, it's, it's, it's fun talking to, to new couples, um, because like you said, a lot of times they're getting married later. And so they've just kind of been like getting a paycheck and spending it on whatever. And so budgeting. So budgeting is one of those things, yes. like the dirty word, <laughs> the dirty word. Um, but, but a lot of times that's what I've suggested for the couples is to have the budget of and, and to do the needs, wants and wishes. So, the needs are the basic needs that go into the, the central bucket, plus the wants. I think, you know, you, where you agree upon the wants. And the wishes are, are those two c accounts that, keeps, that are kept separate from their individual paychecks. But it gets, it gets cloudy when somebody makes twice as much as the other person. So then, you know, that's, that's where the communication comes in. You gotta, you gotta come up with something that makes sense to you. And we've suggested if, if they, if, you know, if they make, twice as much, you know, you, you prorate it as far as what goes into the needs and wishes or the needs and wants bucket. And then, you know, the, the wants are still the set asides, but, but it is, it's communicating and agreeing on something and there's and no in right some respect you back into, um, the needs. So if you, you know, I, well, I want to retire early. I want X number of dollars. And then you, you can figure out what they have to save to get there yep. Yep. or at least some ballpark figure. And that. So do you agree that we're going to save this amount of money and your X is going to go in this 401, the X is going to go in that 401, and, you know, we want some liquidity for your, what if the car breaks down, you don't want to have to go to mom and dad, or, well, some of you might, you don't want, <laughs> or, or have to tap into some retirement account to get money to pay for something. So that emergency fund is so important oh, yeah, in the we younger days. about that. Mm -hmm. Gosh, that's so like important. a number one rule, yeah. like a, have your emergency fund. And this is just a stupid analogy, but like, <laughs> I just, um, you always, well, I won't use the, it's, as I said, it's a stupid analogy. The, you, you just want to have money set aside. So when that horrible thing happens that you're not expecting, whether it's a flat tire or the transmission goes or just the heater's out, you, you don't suddenly have a life-changing financial event where suddenly um, you're in... I mean, it's highly stressful when you don't have enough money for things. And, and I do feel bad for people that try to 
um, function on a, a budget that they they don't even have enough to fill. But th- th- that emergency savings and the general rule, if you're um, if it's dual income, you want to have three months worth of what you take home between the two of you, and if it's single income, you want to have six months worth. And that's yeah. yep. And then for retirees, cash flow. I mean, having that liquidity. I mean, maybe it's not called an emergency fund anymore, but it's that liquidity piece. Uh, we really, really yeah, didn't talk about asset allocation, but wow. I mean, and I think it's so poignant right now because markets are a little shaky. Um, and and we don't want to have to go in and sell stuff if we don't have to. And if we have planned, we know we need X number of dollars every year for the next three to five years. It's especially important in retirement when you don't have a paycheck anymore. You're counting right. on your assets to work for you. Um, yeah, to have that liquidity, even though we're not earning anything, and yes, we're losing to inflation, but we also aren't having to sell at really bad, bad points in the market. So yeah, liquidity, I just can't say enough about making sure you have whatever that number is, a year, two years, three years, maybe five years for some people. We just want to make sure we've got the cash to do what we need, want, and some of our wishes maybe. And you let that other pile just go through what it's going to go through. And I think that goes back to the psychology, and that's why we like this as a best practice, because money is psychological. And that's when you see people make decisions, or can be, it can be, we know that a lot of times people sell when they shouldn't sell because they're afraid, or people get greedy when they shouldn't get greedy because, you know, psychologically, they just want to have more of what's working. So, And I guess when you talk about mistakes, we have seen, not often, but occasionally during these downdrafts, someone will say, I'm, I can't do it. Get me out. I'll get back in. And then the hardest part is getting back in. So sometimes that's not the best strategy. Most often that's not the best strategy. And, and we have found if we can point to the liquidity that we have set aside for a client so that they have cash flow in the middle of whatever these markets are doing, it helps that psychological part, helps them feel better and not want to puke. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. yeah, so, so best practices. Yeah. So I think we're going to, we're going to stop here. This has been fun. Thank you, Kathy. It for- has been. It's been <laughs> a lot less stressful than I thought it was going to be. And we actually did talk for an hour, which I, I didn't think I could do. I for an hour and she panicked. <laughs> I said, I have never spoken for an hour. I'm not David. Yep. <laughs> I wonder who's laughing when they're listening to this. <laughs> David likes to talk. So um, I guess we will we'll put this on our podcast, Horizon Partners, no disclaimers. And if you like it, be sure to follow us because we can always do more. It seems like Kathy and I, once we got on a roll, we got we got things we can talk about. So you like us, be dangerous. us yes. and let us know. Um, and in the meantime... Stay focused, stay disciplined. And live for today, but plan for tomorrow. (laughs) Signing off.